0: We are taking a one month break from producing new episodes. So we are going to take the next month or so to revisit a few of our most popular episodes. We've got a back catalog of over 150 episodes, including the old Illuminate podcast episodes for all of you longtime listeners. So why are we taking a break for the next several weeks? Well, first of all, we're just trying to practice what we preach and we're gonna take good care of ourselves. We're pretty tired. We've been working really hard on an exciting major upgrade to the podcast, and we cannot wait to share it with you. But we need a few more weeks to get ready for this launch, and we want to do things in balance. Now, we do not want you to miss any of the upcoming announcements. So if you are not already subscribed to my weekly newsletter that I send out via email, then make sure you go to the show notes and click on the link there so you can sign up for it. Every single week, I write a personal message to everyone. I also share my latest relationship column, the latest podcast and any announcements that are coming up. There's all kinds of great stuff in this weekly newsletter. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a thing. Okay, well, let's jump right in. And I hope you'll enjoy this episode from our archives. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I want to welcome you to my podcast From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm Jeff Stewart, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist and your host. And I want to thank you for being here. It's just such a privilege for me to know that you're listening. I really mean that. When I look at the number of downloads that the podcast gets, I imagine in my mind's eye, and I really do this for real, a room full of people, a room full of good people who are just listening, trying to get information, trying to get support, listening for themselves or for someone else and i just imagine your faces making connection with you and it just thrills me to no end honestly that you're listening that you're a part of this i often think to myself that's a big room full of lots of people and what an amazing blessing it is to have this platform this technology to be able to talk with you and introduce you to some great minds and share amazing resources that i know very genuinely know alleviate suffering this is not just talk and to hear myself talking or to hear other people talking. Like This is stuff that actually blesses people's lives. Knowing that you're not alone, knowing things you can try, knowing things that might be good to avoid. And it's just so exciting to me that we can just connect and collaborate and help each other out. I'm so excited today to introduce you to my guest. This is Dr. Mark Chamberlain. And I just need to tell you that having him on the show for me has been one of the highlights of doing this podcast, and for a lot of reasons. Mark was one of those guys that I knew about and looked up to years and years before I actually had a chance to meet him. I had read some of his books. I you know, knew about some of the stuff he had done around addictions. He was one of the very first people that I know of that put online resources out there trying to help people with online content for addiction and recovery. And he's just one of those people that is so creative and such a collaborator and so supportive and really believes in other people and is not territorial or small-minded or jealous of other people's successes. He's just so big and generous, and I'm just so grateful for that. And around 2009, 2010, I had a chance to collaborate with him and talk with him about something else. I actually don't even remember what it was, but in that conversation we started to realize that we had a lot of the same interests around emotionally focused couples therapy, helping couples through recovery. And it was just some engaging conversations we'd had at conferences and over the phone. And I really enjoyed those. And then he called me one time to ask me to help him finish writing a book he was working on. And he sent me a manuscript of it and I loved it. And he was, I don't know how far into it he was, half, three quarters of the way done. He'd written quite a bit of it and it was called Love You, Hate the Porn. And he just said that he really liked talking with me and felt like I was the guy that was supposed to help him finish the book. And so I did. I drove up north to where he lived and we spent several days together and on the phone and on Google Drive, Google Documents, collaborating and writing and working through and finishing this book that he had started. And it was a tremendous honor for me to be able to work with him and create something with him. Working with him is probably one of the highlights of my professional career. I've never collaborated with anybody that was such a team player, that was so open and so willing to share ideas and such a cheerleader. I just really enjoyed working with him and have always thought it would be fun to do something else with him again. So when I had the occasion to interview him for this podcast, I just thought, here we go. This will be fantastic. It's been a long time since I've done anything with Mark. And our book has been out now for almost 10 years, and it's exciting for me that uh, we get to reconnect in this episode and talk about the book, talk about where it came from, and what we tried to do with it, and just talk about some things relating to couples recovery. So in this episode, we kind of go a few different places in the podcast, you'll see, but most of all, I hope that you just hear two guys that have a deep love for this work, a deep respect for the people who are willing to trust us with their lives and their stories, and the fragile and delicate work it is to rebuild a relationship that is broken by addiction and betrayal trauma. Let me just give you a quick formal introduction to Mark now that you've heard my informal introduction to him. Mark Chamberlain received his doctorate from Brigham Young University. He's a clinical psychologist, and he does specialize in the treatment of pornography addiction and other impulse control problems. He and his wife, Jenny, live in Salt Lake area, and he is the author of several books. And in fact, in my second interview with him, we go in depth about one of his other books called Wanting More, and we'll talk more about that in the next episode. But in this episode, we're going to talk about Love, You Hate the Porn, and the journey of couples recovery and how to help couples rebuild connection, find themselves once again. So let me introduce you to Dr. Mark Chamberlain. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, Mark. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Oh, great to join you, Jeff.
0: Yeah, it's been a long time since we've talked, and it's just fun to get back together and kind of celebrate the, uh, I guess, an anniversary of this book we worked on together, Love You, Hate the Porn. I think we were working on it about 10 years ago this time, right?
1: I can't believe it when you said 10-year anniversary. <laughs> it's, it's such sweet memories. They are so vivid of the work we did and just the collaboration. It was such a pleasure to work side by side with you on that.
0: Yeah. On I, that. Yeah. I remember the the phone call. I was in the Salt Lake Airport and we were talking about something else. I had called you for something or you called me. I don't remember why. We didn't really talk a ton back then and your book came up and there was an invitation and one thing led to another and I was up in your office in uh, Layton and we were hammering out and then worked on Google Drive back and forth and writing and collaborating and it just was such a such a flurry of of activity. I remember taking my notes with me on a on a family vacation to Europe, and <laughs> just was trying to, <laughs> trying to just write and create and produce together. And it just I just loved the uh, the synergy of. I mean, you had written you had written probably seventy five percent of the book at that point, and when you brought me in, and and I, I know that we we just you know you kind of needed a closer, someone to help you push it through, and I just felt a- like
1: great way to put it you were the pitcher who comes in in the seventh inning and you went all the way to the, it ended up being the 11th or 12th inning it wasn't over a nine but the uh i do remember sending out kind of uh the rough draft very rough draft of the 50 or 70 or whatever percent was done to people just to get feedback and i'd kind of done all i could with it in a way i didn't know it at the time but i felt some lack of energy and when i got your feedback on the manuscript so far, there was such a breath of fresh air, your enthusiasm and your ideas. And it was so clear to me right then. And that, you know, what a great job you do pitching in. And, and the just the other day with a client, I was telling him the story. I was like, oh, I got to find that story of Jeff and his client in the book, because it was just what that client needed. And that's the way I felt about everything you pitched in was, oh, this people need this. And that's ended up being true. You know, when people talk about the impact of the book, or when I still share things, it's as much or more things that you brought <laughs> to it than the, the structure I had before. And I'm grateful for the miracle of that, uh, you know, inspired work we're able to kind of pitch into. But, you know, looking back at it too, the conversations we share from couples as I reread some parts of it recently looking for that story actually (laughs) (laughs) I was amazed at how we just tried to share what couples discuss with each other yeah and how we were just trying to record what people were sharing with us about what helps heal and uh, so it was more of a we were not the uh, parents we were more the what did they call that person who helps give birth uh, Oh, the midwife. We were the midwife, yeah. (laughs) I'm proud to be the midwife of that content and the principles because it was something that I think you and I both felt help from above and from a lot of clients who are willing to share their stories. And with us and over the years just in therapy, it's amazing how when people share their stories and there reaches this point of clarity that you know people shouldn't just have to walk from step one on their own, doing their best. They really need to know from some other people who've gone a little further down the road so they don't feel crazy because the emotions related to pornography in an intimate relationship are so intense, aren't they?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. And I, that's, one, that's one strength, I think, of, of the book or the stories. People tell me that all the time, that they just can relate. And there's so many good stories in there. And they're true stories. They're, they're actual case examples. Some are you know combinations of different cases so we can preserve confidentiality, but you know overall it's it's based on the lives of people who are really working through these very fragile and difficult issues
1: yeah, yeah, and it's it shows the beauty of communication with couples who they take something that could be damaging to their emotions enough or shameful to their emotions enough that they could withdraw from each other and just say, "Wow, well, you know." It's not worth being in a relationship and relating. And instead, they come back and talk with each other and and kind of wade through it together that even early in the process, it can be so rewarding to them. It doesn't have to be at a certain point. You get to a recovery where you feel close as a couple. It's like, wow, sharing all of my what I go through in my body when the gut punch it is to think that, You know, you're masturbating the images of someone else and, and sex and fantasizing and sharing that with the very person who is my, you know, close intimate partner. And even though they're the ones who played a part in that betrayal feeling, I can share and feel close and can feel this sense of the divine meeting us right there in the, middle of that messy hell we're going through. And then the person who's, you know, been into porn can say, oh my gosh, you know, I thought when people discovered that I've got this habit that I'm going to be forever in the doghouse and instead I'm trusted and I'm looked to and I can, instead of hanging my head, I can see this is something that's a common struggle and I can support my partner and what have I been doing all these years, not having support? I don't need to hang my head about this anymore. I can just reach out, you know, with what I need to, and it's a cool thing to see couples do that. And so to try to describe that, obviously, we're not putting it into words as poetically as people experience it, but we did our best, I guess, didn't we? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no, and I, I love. I mean, one thing that excited me so much about the project when you sent it to me was I was just about a year into my training with emotionally focused couples therapy. Dr. Rebecca Jorgensen had introduced me to EFT back in January of '09 and I was in the middle of training and supervision and just really deepening my skill set with this attachment theory and it was just I mean if you felt energy from me mark it was it was definitely there. I was very passionate still am about you know about EFT and emotionally uh, this attachment theory and just the impact it has on relationships. And what I loved is that I had been working with recovery with recovering couples, and I felt like this emotionally focused therapy approach for couples in later recovery, right? Like it's hard to do couples work in the very beginning when there's so much crisis and betrayal, you know, danger, and you know you have to get people to safety and stabilize things. But I felt like this was like an opportunity to bridge back to recoveries, where I think that's been a challenge for a lot of people, therapists and and loved ones, like to try and figure out how to take these two people that are probably getting healthier but to really fuse together their efforts to build something bigger than the both of them. And I really saw that in your manuscript and what you were trying to do here by fusing together EFT, attachment, recovery. I just was so excited about it. And I think it's still very relevant today. I don't think I would change too much about it. I think it's still super helpful to people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There are things that can be built on and hopefully are, but I agree with you that that core principles of and I agree with you that recovery is, I was just uh, explaining the elevator speech to someone the other day saying okay so you work in the field of addiction are you do you, you know buying the skinner, behavioral or what are you exactly and <laughs> I tried to explain briefly wasn't familiar with Sue Johnson did you know the woman in Ottawa who has attachment <laughs> but it's like so how does that relate to addiction? Is it that they are, you know, looking for connection and they go to addiction. And to try to explain briefly to him that it's not quite that, but that we all have attachment needs and that, that whatever we're going through addiction, or otherwise we can deal with it more effectively in relationships. Yeah, it feels intimidating to stay in or go back to, like you say, connecting, When there's been so much that is good reason to have to deal with myself as an individual and how am I going to go through life? It rocks when our foundation is rocked and you're trying to deal with stuff individually to even get your bearings. You know, you may not be feel capable of relating. And yet, when you have the courage to relate as as a couple and uh, tell me if this is true for you jeff but i'm always blown away because if i were going to create a model of how a couple repairs i never it never ceases to amaze me that a couple will come in and they'll talk about yeah we're it's like i i'm talking with them like that mall map you are here right you're by the shoe store and then i learned you know what we're Clear across the mall out the other side in the parking lot at this steakhouse <laughs> eating steak. And it's like, wait a minute, what? You know, you just, <laughs> you're already having these conversations where you feel closer to each other and you yeah. feel this help from above, this divine help, and you feel uplifted in your life in general. And it's like, what? Wait. And it doesn't mean they won't have the next day feel like, why am I a sucker? And I bought into trusting them again. (laughs) But still, those moments are real where they feel that that, uh, connection that's more than just a connection with their partner. It's this sense of rightness about life and about the way things are going. And when you really hear that over and over, it's not like you and I have a recipe for it. But we certainly can appreciate it, and at least share that it's possible.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think I think that you know th- this book, the feedback I've received is that it's it's a hard book for people, and, and like for women especially in the very beginning of recovery, because you know those those kinds of conversations you're describing maybe aren't as frequent in the beginning. But again, for some couples, they are. For some couples, you know, post discovery. They can have some very sweet, real conversations that are very connecting. And so I certainly don't put limits on what's possible for couples. But my experience yeah, the, is that, yeah, all yeah, those conversations tend to be a little more frequent toward, you know, after they've kind of got their feet under them.
1: Well, that's a great point. I I keep getting reminded of that when I work with individuals where you're probably familiar with Marshall Rosenberg. He's the guy who did nonviolent communication. Yeah. And he says, in order for someone to empathize with you, you have to empathize with yourself first. And I think that often people who, if they've been in kind of depending on how deeply they've been involved and addicted in really anything but uh, porn, for sure, if they're not a very sympathetic character, even to themselves, <laughs> that if you like when you really try to talk with them about what's going on you know, with your cycle, even identifying the cycle, they're mystified by their emotional world or what goes on in their body. And so, you know, sometimes I'll hear things like, well, I'm not a particularly needy person. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, you, <laughs> you just told me you go to porn three times a week. Yeah, you know, that's like a habit now or whatever. But when they try to abstain and just talk instead or journal instead or pray instead or you know go to group and talk out what's going on instead it's like holy cow i am emotional i'm needy i am, feel low self-esteem i have low confidence i well, welcome to the human race it's not like they're dealing with anything out of the ordinary but they're not used to having their body have the gut punch or have the butterflies or whatever and so as they get more in touch and then can just you know it's You and I have heard stories about people coming in and saying, at work, you know, here I am, and I dropped the instrument down the well, and I get razzed by the crew on the truck, and then back at the office, the office, you know, gossip, he's telling everyone what I did, I'm out in the yard of the, you know, the plumbing place, like throwing PVC pipe and I'm saying wait this is an emotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're used to just feeling it and acting out before you even recognize what you're feeling, but the truth is, you know, when you get good at describing that like as he described that story to me, it's like, "Oh, you know, right when you need your buddies to be there and say, "Hey, we all do it," instead they're rubbing it in and then the word spreading and the shame that you feel and then the anger you feel. That's a sympathetic character to anyone. You know, no one is going to look at that and say, "What an idiot, he's out there throwing PVC pipe. But when you can start to articulate that, I think, tell me if you find this too, that men and women who struggle with addictive patterns, when they get better at slowing down and being willing to empathize with themselves, they're a more, you know, fitting attachment, a person for their partner. Because they're going to come with, they're not going to keep acting out in ways that damage their partner. They're going to come with emotion and not confessions of behavior. Is that, did I sum that up right? Yeah. It's, I,
0: I often tell people, I'm like, you know, once you get deeper into your recovery, the secrets that you're going to be having to disclose are going to be your feelings instead of your behaviors.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put right. it. Yeah. So
0: it's, it's really like what we're working on now is like your sensitivity to your emotions and opening up about what you're thinking and feeling and what you're needing instead of just what you've done. Because, you know, for a lot of people when they act out with pornography or some sort of sexual acting out, they're cut off from their own emotions. And so all they're in touch with is what they did wrong. But they don't have any kind of an internal map about what was happening for them or what preceded that or or what they were needing. And that's the stuff, you know, when you can surface that and share it with your partner and understand what they're feeling as well, that's a sweet experience. When you yeah, when you can do yeah. that reliably and predictably.
1: Oh, the payoff is so huge and the but the maturity to stay with emotion when it's raw instead of letting it drive acting out. Mm-hmm. It does take and when I say maturity, it takes a a maturity to weather it. And then by weathering it, you get maturity. So it's really a payoff both ways. When you, when I say you, when our clients, when I, when I have the maturity to sit with the emotion rather than acting out or numbing or whatever, and just weather life isn't matching up to the ideal I had in mind, or I'm taking a particularly hard hit and I'm going to stay with this and weather it and just be in the pain of it and in the the full catastrophe living as a human being in a fallen world is like it sucks it sucks it sucks it sucks okay now i'm getting used to the idea that it doesn't have to be any different than this life can suck and i can feel in my body where it is poignant or pointed and i can then start to try to put words to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so whether again, whether it's journaling or whether it's in prayer, or whether it's with a partner or whoever it's with, there's a beauty to what comes out of that. What's crafted as a person who wanted more and yet I'm living with this and it's painful for me. If it's that I betrayed my partner and I'm in pain or that I don't know how to cope better and I'm in pain or that my partner betrayed me and I'm in pain or whatever, I think that beauty of the experience and then sharing it, it's like the relief that comes knowing that I don't have to be alone in this pain, but I do have to be in the pain. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> be joined in it. I can't just skim along the surface saying, and that's where I think, you know, early in recovery, if you ask guys, you know, reach out for what you need. It's not, oh, I need a listening ear while well, I talk about the shame I felt when people were razzing me about a work mistake. It's, I get home at the end of the day and I need to watch sports and I need more sex. And I'm talking about what I need. I need these kids to shut up so I'm not annoyed. No you're easily annoyed because of what's going on in your (laughs) emotions. And so you're acting out of yelling at the kids or avoiding and numbing or whatever it is, is not doing the trick and you're not really asking for what you need yet, but it's okay. That's how we all start is with our raw emotion leading to acting out. But when we slow down and settle into the discomfort, that's where the maturity really comes, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it reminds me of uh, you shared with me one of your favorite reviews of uh, of our book. You want to share that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, if I'm remembering the wording right, it was by a guy on Amazon who by the way, I've checked his profile. He leaves very wordy reviews of games, uh, you know, <laughs> video games and stuff. So he's a very articulate person who just but he's a, you know, if he finds something he likes, he he leaves a positive review and he said I used to whack it to porn. I used to get online and whack it to porn. Now I consider my wife's feelings. (laughs) And that was his five star review of our book is that, you know, this book helped me see what my wife was going through and low-hold, that changed my behavior. And that's the, that's exactly it. It's sitting with the discomfort. Yeah. If she's in discomfort, well, I want to know what it's about rather than, you know, so often the kind of reaction of someone is, Well, everyone does it. Why are you bugged by it? It's like, no, if I have a partner and she's bugged, whether it's about that or anything else, do I have the, am I going to join her to kind of hear out from her what's going on that this bothers her? And so there's someone who, when his girlfriend handed him the book, he was willing to (laughs) really let it in. So that does mean a lot to me when you hear that, that. The effect it had on people, doesn't it? Oh my
0: goodness! Yeah, I just loved that. (laughs) That was so great. I thought that's exactly why we wanted to put this out there. Is just you know for people to be able to really sit with and hear and connect with each other's you know primary feelings, and it's just thrilling to me that he painted such a stark contrast between these two worlds.
1: Yeah. And so, so few
0: words. It was good.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's really you know woman's sensibilities about what it means even though it's very different, maybe from a guy's, you know, what an enriching thing for him to spend that time and And I think that it goes the other way too, that when women really, as men, we are so, find it so challenging to open up about our sexuality because there may be shame and then defensiveness about it, some of both. And when you really look at, you know, when we, again, I'm a more sympathetic character if I empathize with myself as I share, or before I share. If I really look at, as a man, my own sexuality and cherish it and value it, and it may be different than my wife or my girlfriend, and but I can care about her without discarding and dismissing what she means to me, what uh, sex means to me, what her body means to me, what you know uh, wakes me up sexually. I mean, I think that empathy that women can have really is enriching as well in that process of the dialogue, because I think it's an eye opener. You know, as much as it's an eye opener, oh, I didn't realize he was into porn. How cool that the 40 or 50 eye openers of, oh, here's how he's had, you know, here's the intensity of sexuality for him throughout his life. Here's how he's tried to navigate it. And here's where he's still at with a lot of it, with the intensity, with the uh, appetite, with everything else. What better growth to a couple than for him to get in touch with what her sensibilities about sex are and for her to really get a picture of who he is as a man and what sex is to him.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's not something that is going to happen quickly for any couple. Like you said, it takes a lot of individual responsibility to sit with and look at and ask some of those hard questions. And for most people, it's going to happen through some guided, you know, counseling, group work. There's a lot of self education, but it's
1: It's so helpful, isn't it? So helpful to get to slow down and take time to focus on it to help tune into it. Yeah. Well, that's where, yeah, uh, that's where stopping,
0: right? That's where like just stopping the addiction, which is so many people's early goal naturally is so incomplete. There's this, there's this whole richness of understanding how people work and what they're feeling and and their wounds. And, and obviously, you know, again, I'll say this a thousand times, there has to be safety and commitment on both sides to really create these conversations. But for the couples that are in a position to do that, you know, we want to give them guides and support and permission to know how to get there. Because to me, it's a wasted opportunity just to basically put out the fire and then just go on with your lives. I think there's a lot there that couples can learn and connect from. So it's.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The And there's a lot that overlaps with what every couple does. And like you say, a long time to get there and then a recognition over time that we never really get there entirely. Like is there, I think a so common true. illusion is that we get to a point where if we're sexually compatible or sexually healthy, this is how it will look and it will kind of reach a static quality. But the dynamic nature of who we are as individuals and even how we develop sexually over the lifespan, you know, it's going to be uh, this ongoing, very alive, dynamic, organic thing. It's not going to be a place you arrive as a couple or as an individual and it's if you do arrive there and can kind of rest in that relating for a while, that's great, but then don't feel like you're doing something wrong if some phase of life thing or some health thing or some other thing throws it all, uh, you know, all the cards <laughs> up in the air again and you have to kind of reapproach yeah. it, but I think that's one thing that's nice. You know, we talk about kind of training at high altitude when you've navigated it once with something as loaded as our sexuality and pornography and feelings of betrayal and then you can do it again and hammer through menopause or (laughs) right you know all the other things that are going to throw you curveballs it's like we're you know individually i have the wherewithal to dig down deep in myself and sort through how this is impacting me and the maturity to stay with my own emotions before i bring them to someone else to solve or thrust them on someone else with acting out in some way. Instead, I can sort through. I'm working on sorting through and being there for myself, and then I can advocate with my partner. It's, it's a process that keeps going for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I, I just think that there's... I love the high-altitude training metaphor only because um, I've watched a few Everest documentaries and... I have this fascination with climbing Everest but I'll never do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I love I love that concept of couples recognizing that even if they get into a a kind of a high altitude situation where they feel like they're losing that relationship oxygen or they're starting to feel like they're they're really at their limit, they can come back down to base camp and maybe go through the routine or just connect in ways that are familiar and safe, but they don't realize that they've just stretched themselves and that there's another chance to not be afraid to try and go back there because they absolutely have now conditioned themselves to maybe handle or tolerate something that maybe they couldn't have before. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that stuff is really exciting to me. I've seen it in my own marriage, just as we ventured into conversations and experiences as our family's grown and as we've both matured and had new experiences and different beliefs and goals and things. It's just so dynamic and interesting, and I, I would hate for anybody to feel like they've arrived or that it's static. Marriage does not have to be boring or uninteresting. You've got two people growing and developing, and I think that pornography, betrayal, is a traumatic catalyst for a lot of people that they would never ask for, but if they really embrace it and, and have good support and tools and keep working hard, they can achieve levels of intimacy that, and that's been what I've seen, that like they can achieve levels of intimacy that they wouldn't have had otherwise.
1: Yeah, and that's the you know, for to feel like the, you know, we're cursed with this issue. So, you know, we'll never be able to be a healthy couple or, you know, maybe what's breaking down between us is this has forever poisoned. I I don't think so. I think all couples have to, you know, there are going to be blocks no matter what, and all individuals have their limitations. And this can be a particularly poignant one for some individuals, some couples. But the truth is, you know, the ability to connect is challenging for everyone. And, you know, the stakes are higher and it's harder when you're dealing with a challenge this big. But the when you can do it and, you know, for the couples, there's been, I guess I'll just say how I kind of became aware of the perspective. There was someone who shared with me, well, they were talking about how the shame around pornography has been so great. And they said, and I heard that you were in that group who's kind of a hate the porn group. And I was like, well, the, I guess the title of our book is love you.
0: the Porn. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: <laughs> but I like, as a, like, this is the curse of our age. It's so terrible. And you're a bad person for doing it. I mean, to me, the hate, if there is any hatred of porn, it's the hatred of, that it's such a good number, you know, I don't have any lack of empathy for what draws people to or think people should hang their head that they were vulnerable to porn of all things. I mean, it's, it's such a good, effective drug for numbing. And so if you hate numbing and disconnection and shame, (laughs) right, right, this just fuels that more. Yeah, it's not that there's, I don't ever want to heap shame, and I think you're in the same boat. I'll oh, yeah. Speak for both of us. Shame on someone who, you know, deals with that as an issue by any means. And in fact, I think connection is the great cure for hate. You know, if there is any hatred, once people are sympathetic characters to themselves and their loved ones, the hatred dissolves very quickly and there's compassion. And, but I think we can kind of, I think the, Gentleman, I was talking to would agree that we can hate things that get in the way of people opening up and being able to be real with each other. Yes. And uh, dealing with life on its own terms, things that provide such a nice, convenient escape that they can be kind of islands that just seduce the homing pigeon from going to what really works to bring meaning to life, connection and the divine. Yeah, I think that's the energy that I get. I wouldn't call it hatred mainly. I would call it, you know, I think we try to help wake people up, but I don't think it's there's any kind of hatred or shame that we want to heap on anyone about this.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I I love what you said. It's like, you know, in the same way that, you know, you hate anything else that would numb, you have to, I get that it has a very personal betrayal quality to it. Of course, it does. It strikes at the very center of of the intimacy and the And bodies and and things like that that are so deeply fragile and personal to people. But when that's all settled down and we're really starting to understand it and what role it was playing and what, you know, you really, yeah, you're right. Like I, I would never want a couple or an individual to feel like this black mark, like this sort of permanent stain on their marriage or them individually that they struggled with this or this became a thing. To me, it's, it's about learning and understanding what it was doing and and how you're combating that and how you're doing something about it and choosing like you said just a higher better way to connect instead of to numb so yeah i i have a lot of hope for couples that struggle with this i would never want anybody to feel like this is just a, a on their permanent record as a couple and they're just doomed for you know the trash heap it's just so not true
1: yeah and that's where you know, the you think about the way an individual feels as they get caught up, get seduced by very understandably the uh, pornography, the sexual and the enticement of that sexual energy and the last thing they need is to have shame over that, the beauty of their sexuality and and to reclaim that, I think, to be able to reclaim that beauty and not hang my head about it and to be able to be open about my sexuality with a partner and the, because it's uh, at the heart, I think it's a celebratory, is that a word, celebrating. It's an impulse to celebrate it, to elevate, not to tear down Right. that then gets hijacked by porn. And so something that's a celebrating thing and an excitement thing. And then 20 minutes later for an individual to feel this darker sense of bluff. Now I got to make sure no one knows that I just celebrated that. (laughs) 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 That's not a pattern that is conducive to light and growth. But the heart of it, the sexual energy, that light force within us that uh, gets awakened by sexuality and beauty is something to be reclaimed from that realm for sure
0: yeah and i you know i'd asked you when in preparation for this uh this episode you know what would you change about love you hate the porn and you know you said well probably not change a lot but maybe there's another book to build on it just about this idea of really learning how to appreciate and reclaim sexuality which i think for couples is a really difficult stage of recovery is how to reintegrate that and and really activate that healthy interdependence and boy you know it's like putting out again putting out the fire and then but a lot of people become so aversive to anything sexual inside themselves or between them and just feel like it's a minefield and so i i agree mark i think that's that's where i would love to see some more support and resources in that area
1: yeah it's so loaded and it's so it is a minefield and it's where i don't know if you agree with this because maybe you're Further along than I am in terms of having an outline of what principles are followed and so on, but it's even more so what we we're talking about before. Of uh, I certainly learn from couples that the humility and the respect each of them have for each other and for the gift that sex is and can be, and that the emotional closeness that uh, you know, if the emotional closeness isn't there, it's certainly You know, off the table, there has to be safety, like you say. But when there's emotional closeness, even if it's not permanent and plateauing at closeness or safety, but when the couple really connecting and feeling close to each other. And I think this is one of the great illusions of any addiction that's like a a vending machine kind of result you get when you put such and such in, you get such and such back why relationship with a partner and sex especially is so different than that, that the warmth we feel as a couple and the connecting we feel and when sex is a part of that, how just how deeply satisfying, how, how amazingly connecting it is. And yet it's not a reliable thing we can go back to by putting in all the elements that we thought made up that recipe but it's, to me, that's where a gift from God to have amazing sex when it's there. And then the willingness to keep investing to connect, not just so we can get back to that amazing sex, but so that we can have whatever it was that made sex amazing, make our parenting amazing and make our everyday life amazing. That, you know, there's an appreciation that beyond what you and I are individually you know, there's something, a spark between us that that I think only the divine can help illuminate that when it lights up, it's more than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. And if we're humble about that and know that it's possible that, you know, that has not, we can say for sure, that has not been ruined by porn. That simply has not. The couples to experience the heights of all heights in this life of connecting as a couple is simply not you know disqualified from that and so if that's possible it's something that again there's no couple that can have that reliably like a vending machine hey guess what every time all we have to do this and we have that magic but the fact that that's possible and that we respect the each other and the gift that that is enough that we'll keep trying to live in ways that we clear the runway for that at least you know we may not be able to (laughs) flag down the next plane every time but we clear the runway that if if we can be a part of that again and if we taste that in our lives in different little ways throughout our life you know having whether you think of it as being close to the spirit or having my life infused with a sense that I know I'm on the path God wants for me, or whatever it is, to have that in any area of life is beautiful, wonderful, and to have it as a couple seems to be one of those pinnacle experiences.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I love what you're saying, and I, I just, I, I think that's what makes it so thrilling because it's basically intermittent rewards, right? <laughs> so,
1: yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a good. Uh, I mean, I know in my so own it marriage, is skinner. it is beautiful. Yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> I, I just know in my own life that. You know, we're always gunning for, you know, some sort of predictable connection, but sometimes it falls flat or there's other factors, life happens. But when everything comes together and it's it's transcendent, it's sublime, it's celestial, it feels incredible. And then and then you're like your brain and your body are just like, Wow, like let's keep trying to create conditions to make that happen again. And and it's just to me, that's just a very sweet part of of working together with somebody to create connection and Again, I know that this feels like high level stuff to maybe a lot of listeners who are in the throes of discovery or initial betrayal. And we always hold a space for that and recognize that this is developmental. It's progressive. It's something that is built over time. And we recognize, but we also want to hold space and talk about this without feeling like we're diminishing the other, like the early struggle. Like it, it all is yeah, important, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, and I, you know one of the reasons I talk about this too is the person in the throes of addiction who is still lapsing regularly. Part of the suck back in for some, you know, sometimes not. It's not the only factor. There's so many factors that you know can kind of entangle a person, but part of it is that promise that you know it's like you're going to get the five-star restaurant dinner out of the vending machine of porn. I mean, porn is that vending machine where yeah. the best you're going to get is the moon pie that was made four months ago and it's loaded with preservatives. <laughs> and you're not going to get anything better, but it will give you a moon pie. P- porn is reliable, it's predictable, and it will give you that. But the dissatisfaction with always eating that moon pie is part of what helps loosen the hold of porn, or any addiction, frankly. Is that sense of wait, you know, this keeps promising and never delivering. (laughs) And is what I'm, you know, continuing to go for simply not available? And part of what I think, you know, we want to just really call out in a very clear way to folks stuck in that addictive pattern is don't think you have to give up your hankerings, your appetite, your longings, your yearnings and say, that was unrealistic anyway. Sex isn't going to ever really do it for me. Sex is not as important in need as I think. Put it aside and accept this watered down, neutered version of life that is recovery. And I think that's a disservice to really what healthy recovery is.
0: Right there. That's it. Exactly. We have to reassure and give people hope and permission to really experience, you know, like the saying goes, to not live beneath your privilege. Um, and yeah, I think there's yeah. so many people in recovery that think well this is the best there is at least he's not looking at porn or at least I'm not in trauma all day you know and it's like oh yeah, no yeah. no 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 keep going like there's more and you're right like with sexuality especially to embrace your natural eroticism to embrace your curiosity and playfulness and spontaneity and to you know to lean into those vulnerabilities because sex can be an adventure into your, you know, older years. It's not something that is just a playground for 20 and 30 year olds. I mean, it's, it's very much, you know, available and in all of its forms throughout the lifespan. And I just, and I, I would hate for people to believe that that's unavailable to them or that they should feel bad about that because they've made these errors or struggled with these things.
1: Yeah. That soulful sex and mm-hmm. the whole soul is engaged and involved. Mm-hmm. And that's where You know, the challenge is you can't, you know, to go back to what you're saying about developmental. So you can't just say, I'm going to leap from pornography into soulful sex because the soul needs to be, (laughs) you know, excavated of and really filled out with. The soul doesn't just experience the ecstasy of of union. It also is what, you know, the early process is there's probably going to be more gunk and pain and emotional angst than ecstasy, but it's that willingness to get in touch with myself in all in in the all of its extreme nature that then you know makes us more capable of that mature connecting sexually. But the sneak preview we get early you know in our sexuality, early in life and even the appetite we have that makes us vulnerable to porn is not a false promise. It's not a bait and switch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mark, I mean, this is why our writing sessions would sometimes go five, six, seven, eight hours (laughs) (laughs) because there's just so much to talk about.
1: I'm so glad though that, you know, when we have a conversation like this and both of you and I are really into it, I'm so glad that you recorded this one because I think we would get done and go, well, this really helps me in my work with clients. It helps me solidify what I'm thinking. Dang, could, couldn't we capture that? So <laughs> I hope your recorder doesn't, you know, <laughs> uh, erase the. If you're like me, the technology will break Yeah, down yeah. The hard drive will be. But uh, no, it's been a pleasure because it's been so, I do feel that spirit of our discussions that I so often felt when we would talk, Jeff. Yeah, it's I know. Really a pleasure.
0: Likewise, and I don't need more projects, and I know that you don't either. But I, f- I feel like, oh, is there another book blooming out of the ground here? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? You just feel that when you start collaborating on ideas.
1: Yeah, it's fun. It's uh, really fun.
0: Well, this is fantastic. I, you know, for the listeners, if you haven't picked up a copy of Love You Hate the Porn, it's still for sale. It's not in the bargain bin. last I checked, the Desert <laughs> Book <right? laughs> So. We're not on a second edition quite yet, but I, I definitely am, am aware that it's still out there and available and it's helpful. In fact, when I was flipping through it in preparation for our talk today, Mark, it was like, you know, I, I felt like maybe the, the Rolling Stones or one of these bands that had been around a long time and they are kind of dusting off their old set list from 30 years ago or something. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, that was a pretty good song. Let's Let's see if we can remember how to play that. And, <laughs> I, I, I just, I was reading some of that stuff going, wow, yeah, I don't, I don't remember which of us wrote that, but boy, that somehow came together really well there. That was pretty cool. And I, I, just know I'm, that the, I'm. Yeah. I'm
1: glad that you're uh, Mick Jagger and can go out and sing because I, I just want to be Keith Richards back there. <laughs> if I can just hit a quarter or two, I'm getting old. I'm so happy to be out here. <laughs> no, that's a. It's been a, yeah really fun to think about uh, that it's a decade and to yeah, yeah remember the principles. So yeah, I, that's thank you for setting this up.
0: Yeah, so you can still get the book on Amazon. Desert Book still sells it. And I'm sure there's used copies out there as well, but uh, electronically, I don't. There's not an audio version yet. I, I, we maybe need to follow up and see if we can do that. That'd be a fun thing to to record that in audio because so many people listen to them like this, like this podcast.
1: That would be, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. So, Mark, thank you for making time to talk about this, and I, I look forward to having you back on because I, I, there's one more book we're going to talk about. So, thanks so much. I'll, I'll have you back on soon.
1: Thanks, Jeff. My pleasure.
0: You can connect with Mark Chamberlain and find him at suncrestcounseling.com. And of course, get on Amazon and look up all of his books. He's written several different books in supporting people with addictions and impulse control disorders. And I think you'll find his work very approachable and helpful. So check him out there. And I, of course, am excited to introduce you to one of his books, one of my favorite books that he's written called Wanting More. And I do that in the next podcast episode. We get into a long conversation about that book and all the wonderful things about it. And I'll tell you more about it in the next episode. But once again, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Please leave a rating and of course, share this information with anybody who you feel like could use it. Just be brave. You might be surprised what people are struggling with. It's pretty common these days that people have secret struggles that we just don't even know about. So I'm just hopeful that people can access the support that they need and that you and me and Mark and anybody else on these podcasts can be a source of strength and support for someone out there who's struggling. Thanks again. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.